0: This is a podcast by Householders' Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity-building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Diabo Yuggera and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson and I'm the producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series. Within Australia over the last 10 years or so, a lot of the development of Eco-Social Work theory, methods and models of practice have emerged from within the social work training institutions in Australia. A number of the guests in this series are academics, researchers and social work trainers drawn from those institutions. This episode focuses on the work of Dr. Peter Jones, one of the pioneers of eco-social work theory and its application to social work training in Australia. Peter is a senior lecturer in social work and human services at James Cook University based in Townsville, Queensland. He has over 25 years experience in the fields of social work education where he maintains a particular focus on the application of transformative learning theory his other professional interests include eco-social work sustainable community development international social work and international student exchange he has published scholarly work in all of those areas so welcome peter and it's an absolute pleasure to talk with you today
1: Hi, Andrew, and it's um, great to be here and have the opportunity to speak with you as well. And I I might just um, signal that I'm talking to you today from Yunbanun, or Magnetic Island, which is in Wulgarukaba country. And so I'd just like to take a second to just acknowledge the traditional owners of the country that I'm standing on at the moment, and to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded here.
0: And such a beautiful part of the world to be broadcasting from as well. It is. You know, I want to start the conversation, as with my other guests, by asking you to introduce yourself more fully, perhaps give us some highlights from your very extensive professional background, but also some insight into when and how you first became interested in eco-social work, particularly as it applies within the field of social work training.
1: Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, so as you, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a social worker. That's my professional background, and I currently work as an academic at James Cook University. Um, I guess when I look back at how I came to have an interest in eco-social work, it seems to me that like many people from quite early in in my life, I was interested in issues around the environment um, and interested in social justice issues and uh, generally uh, a kind of an engaged activist sort of oriented young person. Uh, When I decided to pursue a career in social work, that was very much because I saw it as a profession which could accommodate a kind of a social change, social justice orientation. It was a place where I thought you could have uh, radical ideas about the need to transform society and be paid for it. And that seemed to me like a a good combination. But as I went through... uh, my undergraduate studies, and as I began practicing in the community, I guess that I always uh, saw myself to be in a bit of a binary position. So I was doing uh, environmental work, so environmental activist work, but it was very much outside of my professional life. What I was doing as a social worker was about working with people, and I kind of kept those two things in separate boxes. As many people do, I think. Um, I was very lucky, uh, after working for some time in the field, that I got an opportunity to do some part-time work uh, at James Cook Uni, and I spent some time talking with one of my colleagues about the Bachelor of Community Welfare that was being offered at the university at that time. Um, Now, I was very attracted to that degree because it had a, a greater focus on community development work than the social work degree, and it created an opportunity to develop some material that looked at the relationship between community development work and the environment. So this colleague and I, Robin Lynn, and I, developed a subject which at the time was called socio-environmentalism and community work. And it was uh, a core subject in the Bachelor of Community Welfare, and an option for students in the social work degree. So that was really the moment in my career when I saw that I could bring these two things together and explore the relationships that existed between concerns around the natural environment and concerns around human well being and social justice. And I guess from that point, Uh, I've been involved pretty consistently for the last 20 years or so in uh, developing approaches to teaching in social work that bring those things together in useful ways and continuing to find ways in my own personal practice that I can be engaged around environmental issues. And um, in recent times, of course, that's been pretty focused on climate change, as well as being engaged in more traditional social justice and human rights issues. So uh, a long period of continuous development of social work curricula that uh, looks at bringing those things together. Um, I guess, Andrew, I might also mention the fact that in recent times I've also been involved in establishing an organization called Social Workers for Climate Action whose uh, purpose is to raise awareness within the social work profession about the importance of climate change, the the kind of scale of the climate emergency and its impacts uh, for humans on this planet and the ways in which social work as a profession uh, might begin to grapple with that uh, crisis and um, make a contribution to addressing it. So I guess, yeah, I guess it's if I think back to how I've come to be at this point, those are part of the answer.
0: Fantastic. Really interesting to hear that sort of, you know, a history of ideas, almost overview of how you came into the field, you know, or that particular interest around eco-social work through the sort of community development pathway, I suppose, in some ways, mm. or resonating with that. Because I, I do get the impression that's one of the most obvious um, articulation points between traditional practice and eco-social work. The other one, I suppose, being the health sector, But nonetheless, you know, very interesting to hear your personal journey into that. Can you now, you know, moving to the next question um, about eco-social work practice, specifically in 2021, can you expand on that ground that you've already started to cover there, Um, your personal interpretations of what eco-social work practice is or should be about in 2021? And in your case, Mm. perhaps with specific reference to social work training approaches.
1: Mm, Sure. Sure. So I guess I'll start that answer by just saying this is still a somewhat contested area. So there are a number of different approaches that are, that are existing at the moment in the literature and in the field around exactly what we are talking about when we talk about eco-social work. Uh, for me, an eco-social work approach is an approach to our profession that recognises the absolutely central position that the natural environment plays in the existence and the continued survival of human beings. So in other words, it's an attempt to overcome that binary that I mentioned previously, where we kind of put nature in one box and human beings in another box, as if they aren't part of the same thing. So an eco-social work approach says that Whenever we're talking about the concerns that face social work practitioners, so when we're working with disadvantaged individuals or communities or we're working with issues of oppression or discrimination, that there is an underlying connection to the natural world and the health of the natural world that we ignore at our peril an eco-social work approach says we have to overcome that false binary and begin to build into our thinking uh, into our philosophical foundations and into our actual practices this recognition of the interrelationship between humans and the environment Um, as uh, the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Han describes this as being, he, he says that we inter-are with the environment. There is actually no separation. It's not something that can be put in a box and kept separate from the concerns of human beings. So that's a, that sounds like a kind of a simple thing, doesn't it, Andrew, that we just go, oh, yeah, of course, nature, you know, that's really important. But when we attempt to do that, we pretty quickly find that it challenges a whole range of the traditional philosophical underpinnings of our profession. You know, we as a profession have our roots very much in the values and beliefs of modernity. And one of the characteristics of modernity is exactly that kind of binary thinking, the creation of those false dualisms that tend to separate people from nature. So if as a profession we really want to give adequate acknowledgement to the role that the natural world plays in human well-being, it actually means challenging some of those fundamental assumptions that we have carried forward with us as a profession. Um, and that's that's not an easy thing to do. And of course, once you begin to challenge those fundamentals, everything else then comes into question. And we look at uh, beginning to recognize that a deeply eco-social approach to the profession would involve some pretty fundamental transformative change um, right through from those kind of basic concepts and ideas around social justice and human rights, right through to the practicalities of what we do in in our everyday practice. So I guess that's a complicated way of saying that really what we're talking about here is a way of thinking about social work that acknowledges our interrelationship and our fundamental reliance on the the natural world
0: again i think this is great you know a great overview in, in you know intro to this subject and we're going to we're going to touch upon this at several points in this discussion because i know that you share with me uh, an interest in really trying to nail down as far as is possible at this very formative stage of eco-social work practice what it actually is because i think mm. for the actual practitioner out there particularly perhaps a younger know, younger generation practitioners you know post-qualification just coming up into the field for the first time really getting a a practical as well as a theoretical but i think it's so vital and so valuable that you're giving a very solid theoretical input to this as well but and we're going to come back to uh the future aspect of this of where this may go Mm. because you're pointing to that transformative aspect of what this Mm. may mean for the profession we'll come back to that later in the discussion yeah go, go ahead
1: yeah sorry i was just thinking as you were as you were saying that andrew that you know one of the things that i've that's been really startling for me as I've been working with students to introduce them to this area has been the fact that when you when you first say oh we're going to look at this connection between human well-being and and the natural world people's reaction is kind of well uh yeah okay I I get it I sort of understand that but you know i joined social work to work with people i don't <laughs> i don't i'm not really all that interested in working with trees or <laughs> ecosystems and it takes a little bit of unpacking to to really help people to establish well what those connections are and just how interrelated and reliant on the natural world we all are I I guess for me, one of the things that that's highlighted is the ways in which we are lacking, many of us in the profession, are lacking a a kind of a basic ecological literacy, uh, a real understanding of the natural systems and processes that allow life to exist on planet Earth. So with my students, I... I introduced them to some of this material it's almost like going back to high school science and saying you know what is the water cycle and what is the carbon cycle and how does the biosphere operate and and trying to join those dots and make those connections between that basic understanding of of the way nature operates and the way human societies operate, and the way that we are, in the end, completely reliant on those natural systems for our existence. So it's it's a challenging thing to do, and it is a transformative uh, area. So if you once you kind of get that connection, it can really change the way you see everything.
0: And I, I think that's you know that's that's a great insight there. I think it articulates very closely to also to it. we're not doing it in this discussion, but a historical history of ideas understanding of how it came to be that we have almost what you might term this false dichotomy in terms of the environmental interest in social work, but the social environment, how the social environment came to be understood as the environment. And that's that's quite a convoluted discussion but very fascinating Mm. one going all the way back to the formative years of the early 20th century and possibly even before that of social work history. Yes, absolutely. uh, Yeah, exploration. I'm hoping that we will get a speaker that covers that particular topic, you know, in in this series. So I think it's it's vital to Mm. understand. But look, staying with this trend of Mm. spinning down exactly what this beast is, this green-hued beast of eco-social work is... I know that you and you started to talk about it in in terms of direct work of your students. I know some of your students have been involved in considerable amounts of hands on work in the uh, Townsville area, particularly where, you know, you're Mm. based or where you teach out of. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it would be very um, interesting for listeners to hear about some of the practical on the ground ways that your students Mm. have interacted with this with this uh, new form of practice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, this is taking place through a couple of avenues, I guess, but most in most recent times through the um, Social Workers for Climate Action organisation, where we've had uh, students who are just uh, simply members of that organisation, as well as having students who are actually completing field placements as, as part of the organisation as well. Um, engaging in a, in a range of activities, I guess. So they, they kind of mirror, in a way, the, the ways in which I tend to think about how all social workers can act in an eco-social manner. Um, so they've engaged in activities that might be looking at their own personal uh, behaviors and own personal patterns of consumption and um, doing things like measuring their own ecological footprints and, and so on. So developing some insights into their own uh, lifestyles and their own ways of living that then suggest ways to change if they actually want their lives to reflect an eco-social understanding. So that's right down at, at one end of the scale at that kind of individual action. But we've also been very keen for students to get experience of becoming involved in social action activities that might be uh, either organised by themselves or where other groups in the community have organised social action. So, uh, you know, a, a classic example of that is the School Strike for Climate movement and uh, Social Workers for Climate Action has been involved in that over the last few years as a supporter, and we've had students who have uh, prepared, um, recruited, and participated in uh, those activities. So engaging in social action that is directed at producing change around the climate crisis. Um, And at at a more internally profession level, students becoming involved in developing and promoting opportunities for professional development in 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 this region so for example as we talk uh we are the organization is preparing a workshop which will be run at the townsville um, women's center that is about climate change and its impact on women and service delivery so that's a a um, workshop that's being developed by students and and some um, practitioners, and will be delivered in a way that attempts to raise awareness of climate change amongst a group of professional workers, but also work with them to explore and suggest things that people can actually do. So what are the actions that practitioners can engage in that will uh, support the profession in addressing climate action that will recognize the impacts of climate change on service users and that mean that we can harness the power of the collective rather than simply focusing on individuals changing their lifestyles etc so i guess those are some of the things that that students have been involved in in particular
0: and Peter, thank you for that. And, and I, I understand, that you know, you walk the talk as a social work trainer and practitioner. You've recently been down to Canberra in a lobbying capacity uh, in something that's very much connected to climate change and health. So demonstrating that advocacy role that is one one role within an eco social work practice model. Can you can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this is a, for me, this is a really uh, important and powerful aspect of an eco-social approach in that we're moving here away from the focus on individual people doing small-scale individual things, you know, like recycling or using keep cups or whatever. Those things are important. Please don't get me wrong. I, I think they're great and we should all be doing them. But the nature and scale of the climate crisis really argues that we have to produce societal change on the largest of scales. That's what we're talking about on the national and global scale, if we are actually going to produce the changes needed. So that means that as social workers who are committed to an eco-social approach, we need to be looking for the opportunities to contribute to social change efforts and to produce political and institutional change. Um, Obviously, as soon as you start talking about that, you are bumping up against the idea of politics and politicians and governments and the power that they hold in developing social policy. So uh, just recently, Um, I was part of a delegation of 30-odd people who went to Canberra to uh, engage in a political lobbying event that was organised by the Climate and Health Alliance uh, where we broke into small groups of four uh, delegates and we spent an entire day going from meeting to meeting with parliamentarians. So uh, across the length of the day, Uh, each small group would meet with a number of parliamentarians and talk with them about the need for urgent action around climate change. It's that kind of direct uh, face-to-face political lobbying that probably has one of the strongest or greatest potentials for producing change. It's It's great to send letters and emails to politicians, and uh, I don't know about you, I'm sure you do, but I I do a fair bit of that. But actually being able to sit down face-to-face with somebody and talk with them and be able to uh, make your argument and make your points and uh, really present the reasons why action is important, that seems to me to be a pretty important opportunity. And it's something quite unusual to have social workers in that kind of role. So there we were in Parliament House uh, talking directly with politicians and representing ourselves as social workers. I want to talk to you because as a social worker, this is what I'm concerned about. And I think that that kind of thing is is important and powerful. And it points, Andrew, if I can just bring in a piece of um, academic work here that people might be interested in... Uh, our friend and colleague, Heather Boweto has been working over the last few years on developing uh, a model of eco-social work, and I think she's probably gone further than anybody else at the moment in, in being able to articulate what a model of eco-social work would look like, and the thing I appreciate most about her work is the way that it argues that social workers who are adopting this approach can be doing things so taking action at a number of different levels and in her model those levels range from the individual where you're thinking about your own lifestyle and taking action and producing changes in the way you do things to better reflect your concern of the environment right through to the things you can do as a group or in an organisation, the things you can do in your community, and at the topmost level, how you make a contribution to structural action, to actually producing uh, political and economic change. And I think if we conceptualise eco-social work that way, we can see that there are many places where we can all be making a contribution. We might not be able to make a contribution at each one of those levels, or at least not all the time, but they provide us with some clear targets of where we can bring our eco-social orientation um, to actually bear on the doing of things in in our practice lives.
0: Thank you for that, Peter. And you know, it's, it's been an absolute delight for the fact that we have Heather Boeto in this series, uh, who's who's done her own podcast, and she talks about that that issue amongst many others. What strikes me is a, a, a thread for me as a as an observer of the ecosocial work practice model is this idea of holism, which mm. we've been talking about, which runs very strongly through, um, you know, the practice theory. And and on the ground work. This idea, of the continuity of practice at all levels, be it individual, micro, organisational, meso, or you know, mm. um, civic action, macro. That you've just been talking about in terms of political lobbying. I mean, of course, that's that's also present in traditional social work models. But it's particularly strong, I think, the idea of holism within eco-social work practice. To my mind, as it reflects that physical ecosystem type of. Um, model that's borrowed from mm. environmental sciences the biological sciences the continuity of all things the inter- interaction yes. interdependence of all things look let's move on this is almost might be a sacrilegious question almost for people like yourself ourselves that are actually across this model and interested and convinced of its uh, utility but nonetheless just as a bit of provocation within each of these episodes i ask, guests the so what question just to drill this down to, to ensure that listeners understand the, the, the great validity and importance of eco-social work adoption. So the question is, why should mainstream social work profession, why should it be involved with such concerns? Just to spill mm. that out.
1: Um, look, this is, I know um, it can seem like a kind of a basic question, but in fact, For me, uh, in the work I do trying to raise awareness within the profession, this is the core question because this is the question that um, students, for example, ask. And I think there's a number of ways of answering it and um, different issues that we need to consider. I guess at a very basic level, we should be concerned about issues to do with with the climate and with the environment because as social workers, whether we like it or not, we are going to be at the coalface of dealing with the consequences of these dynamics. So climate change, we know, is having a pervasive impact across all aspects of human well-being, whether we're talking about physical health or mental health, whether we're talking about uh dealing with disasters that this is climate change is going to impact on everyone in negative ways so people that are working in social work are going to be dealing with the people who are impacted by climate change it just there's no way of avoiding that I'm afraid so even if you're not particularly concerned with issues around climate or the environment you're going to be concerned with mopping up the impacts of those things So in my mind, that's an argument for, well, at least developing an understanding of what the causes of the problems that you're dealing with are. So, you know, if you're a hospital social worker and you're seeing increases in people presenting with uh, vector-borne diseases such as dengue or malaria, or you're seeing people come in with increases in respiratory diseases and all of the social impacts of those health issues wouldn't you think it was sensible to have a good solid understanding and analysis of the causes of those and climate change is going to be foremost amongst them so that's one uh, reason we should be paying attention just on a purely practical basis the second reason that I think is important is that social work traditionally holds itself up as being concerned with two core ideas, social justice and human rights. And um, these are two concepts that most social workers are very comfortable with, very committed to. They're often pointed at as being the key philosophical foundations of our profession. So my question to students sometimes is, well, if you are actually committed to those things, to social justice and human rights, then let's look at how the impacts of climate change are being distributed around the world and and in Australia. Who is it that is going to be most severely, negatively impacted in our country? And it takes very little analysis to quickly arrive at the conclusion that the people who are going to be most impacted are those who are already in situations of disadvantage, people who are already subject to discrimination and oppression. In other words, those very populations that social work has traditionally aligned itself with and worked with to try and improve their lives. So the the impacts of climate change, the impacts of the environmental crisis are social justice issues, because They have this inequitable impact. The very people that we think need to be supported because of their existing disadvantage are going to be further disadvantaged by the operation of these dynamics. So again, without even having a unique commitment to eco-social justice, a person who is committed to a current understanding of social justice and human rights should be very concerned with the impacts of climate and with um, the environmental crisis. I guess the third way of answering it is to, and this is the more transformative um, question, I suppose, Andrew, is to challenge people to begin developing that understanding of the interrelationship between human well-being and the environment, and to recognize that the problems presented by climate change pose an existential threat to humanity. So, in other words, if we don't generate that understanding of the links between issues of the environment and climate and human well-being, we are actually placing the existence of humans in peril that to me seems like a very uh, powerful argument for paying attention to these questions it's no longer enough to think that social workers can simply do the mopping up of the consequences and leave the um, the drive for change or the understanding of the science to somebody else if we, if we really understand our connection to the environment, then we must recognise that we need to more fully engage with it and that doing so imposes moral and ethical responsibilities then to take action to protect the planet and in doing so protect human beings.
0: What a fantastic, comprehensive and comprehensible answer to that. Question of you know why should I care almost as a profession the so what question I, I, that's a brilliant unpacking of that Peter thank you for that look as we move to, uh, through this very rich discussion um, I now want to sort of sh- start to shift a focus to the future um, eco social work as you as you pointed out right at the beginning is still in its formative stage in Australian practice um, there's a long way to go. Looking to the future, thinking about that in terms of a positive, visionary sort of uh, take. I ask each of my guests what their sort of vision is for the future. We can always look at the extrapolative approach of saying, well, here's the current trends of adoption, let's say, of a particular model. But um, moving away from that and asking uh, each guest what what their vision is for where eco-social work practice could or should be headed or where it needs to go in Australia to achieve its full potential, as a significant practice turn or new operational framework, wherever you want to uh, mm. define it within mainstream social work. What's your take on this over, say, the next 10 years, the midterm future? Do you do you have a vision mm. about where it needs to go, where it should go, where it can go?
1: Yeah, look, I absolutely do have a, a vision, Andrew, because I think that we need a vision. We need to have some sense of where it is that we want to go so that, while we're on the pathway of change we can actually measure and engage whether we're making progress in the right direction so if i look ahead 10 years i would love to see that the profession as a whole has engaged deeply with the idea of um, an eco-social work approach and by that i mean that we have been open as a profession to examining and challenging the fundamental principles and beliefs that underpin the profession Um, some of them i believe need to be changed some of them of course can stay right where they are but we need to be able to be brave enough to go right back to those core basics and be open to challenging them in the light of our understanding about the relationship with nature I think that if we are brave enough to do that, then a number of other things flow from that, one of those being that social work education 10 years from now may look significantly different from what it looks like today. There will undoubtedly be some things that are pretty much the same, that remain the same, but I think that we would want to see some significant changes. For example, I think that we would include in a social work degree programme a significant component of, um, ecological understanding. So actually learning about those planetary systems and processes that i mentioned previously, so that we have some basic knowledge that we can use to produce, uh, a better analysis and a better plan for practice in the future. I think that practice itself will be changed again. We're, we're not saying, you know, stop working in the places social work works now. I think that where we are at the moment, many of those positions and many of that work will look very similar um, in the future that it does as it does now, but that the philosophical position that underpins some of that work will be different. And indeed, we may find ourselves working in new areas. So, Right at the very beginning of our chat today, Andrew, we talked a little bit about community work and community development. As as you'll be aware, this has been at various times historically a more central part of social work's identity. In more recent decades, that's kind of fallen away. I think we'll see a resurgence in that because I think social workers will increasingly recognise that when it comes to making the necessary adaptations to a changing climate, or indeed harnessing the power of the collective to mitigate against climate change, that work at the community level offers great potential. So I think that we'll see an increased emphasis on doing that kind of community-based practice that's addressing the, the issues of adaptation and change around things like the climate. So I I think overall, in 10 years' time, what we would be looking to see is a profession that retains many of its most positive attributes now, but that has extended those attributes and transformed some of them into something that is a more realistic and authentic recognition of the role of nature and a commitment to working with people to bring about the kinds of changes that will be needed in a climate-challenged future. Now, all all of that's going to be centrally important. I did want to make sure that I said something about the degree to which these changed kinds of practice approaches need to have a critical dimension of course, a critical dimension is normally thought of as being an important part of social work. And what that has generally meant is that we are not simply um, content with dealing with the problems. We want to develop a good critique of the causes of the problems. We want to ask questions about power who has the power where are the resources who's disadvantaged and why who gets discriminated against and why those are all aspects of a critical approach so in other words it it brings a a socio-political critique to our understanding of the current situation that that same emphasis needs to apply perhaps even more strongly when we start grappling with an eco-social approach because it's absolutely not enough to simply say, oh, we need to, you know what we need to do? We need to get all the plastic out of the ocean. We need to stop people using straws in their drinks, or we need to get the recycling system working better. That that kind of level of analysis is just not going to produce the kind of change that we need. We need a, a level of critique and analysis that points to who has the power, to What are the forces that are actually operating, currently operating, to stop uh, governments and corporations from addressing climate change in a meaningful way? Who benefits from slowing down the change that's needed? Who's going to be most disadvantaged in our society if these changes aren't brought about quickly enough? So uh, an eco-social work 10 years from now We'll be doing some things the same, but with a different understanding underpinning it. It'll be doing some things differently because we'll be engaging in new areas of practice. We'll see an educational process that integrates in a much more coherent way, the interrelationship with nature. And all of that would be taking place within a model or a framework that includes a strong critical component. If if I can see that in 10 years' time, I'm going to be very pleased with the way things have gone.
0: And you won't be the only one. (laughs) I I think, you know, you've just outlined not only, you know, in answer to the question but the value of inspiring narratives, but narratives that are anchored to real possibilities. This isn't just a kite-flying exercise. I mean, everything you've said there, Mm. you know, seems to be, in theory, at least doable, critical approaches, Mm. boldness, A focus on structural inequalities the power disparities that underpin unsustainable development i mean making that more central to the social work task let's just stay with this um you know a little bit longer on a backcasting basis you use that idea of uh, the steps that might get us there you've already pointed to some of this stuff but i mean just to give you an extra opportunity do you have any ideas you know for the next couple of years the the very short-term future say some immediate steps that might start to move us towards that very edifying very exciting vision you've just outlined.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that I think there's things that we can and should be doing right now, Andrew. So, um I would be really unhappy if we were thinking about eco-social work as being something that's going to emerge at some stage in the future, uh, I strongly believe we should be building this eco-social work approach now. This is, you know, we don't really have the time to wait um, around for things to emerge. We need to push this in quite a um, significant way. So the sorts of things that I'd like to see happening in the short term is even without... um, the guidance of the national professional accrediting body, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment, I would like to see universities who offer uh, um, programs in social work, BSW or MSW programs, begin to uh, rapidly and actively build into those programs content around an eco-social approach and around ecological literacy. Um, Curriculum change is challenging. It's difficult, Uh, There are always a long list of things that people want included in the curriculum but I think the nature and scale of climate change and the climate emergency argues that this is something that we need to be giving um, really urgent attention to right now. I think that the professional body uh, in Australia, the AASW, needs to be um, recognising that urgency and Andrew I want to Point out that the ASW has done some very good things recently. There is clear indication that they are increasingly recognizing the significance of climate change. Um, but I think things like the um, social work education and accreditation standards need to be amended to better reflect the importance of including content around environmental social work, eco-social work, the climate emergency, the environmental crises, so that this becomes clearly identified as core business so that we're not talking about something that's a bit sort of left field and out there but something that's absolutely core to what it means to be a social worker Uh, likewise the code of ethics could be uh and should be reviewed to ensure that these issues are clearly identified there as being important that will those changes now will help create a pipeline of social work graduates who come into the profession in the next three, five years with an eco-social orientation as part of their core training. And I think that will make a significant difference. For people that are in practice now, I think we all need to begin looking at where we can contribute to change right away. Now, we've mentioned a few times already the idea of individual efforts and individual change. I want to encourage those. They're commendable. But please, let's step up a couple of levels from from that. If that's all we do, then, to be frank, we're screwed. So as a social worker, can you look in your organisation at what's happening there, what's the level of climate awareness in the organization is there something you can do to facilitate greater awareness within the organization Uh, what are the sustainability practices that are in place in that organization and can you do something to produce change there can your organization add its voice to uh, NGOs and social movements that are agitating for change in the climate arena Is is there a contribution that the organisation can can make there that you could drive or that you could be a part of? Uh, What about in your community, outside of your workplace? Are there groups and organisations that you could join or support or that you could get involved in who are agitating for change, who are working in that space? Um, Social Workers for Climate Action, I think, is a good example of that. You know, it's some place where people can make a contribution that is part of the the push to get the profession moving in this direction. And I guess as individuals and as organisations and as groups and communities, we need to be asking ourselves, are we engaged in the structural struggle? Are we actually making contributions to the drive for structural change, the kind of economic changes, the kind of policy changes, the political changes that are going to be needed if we're actually going to address the consequences of climate change. So none of those things, Andrew, needs to wait for 10 years time. They don't need to wait for three years time. These are things we can be doing right now and I would argue Um, we should be doing right now i think we have a an ethical and moral obligation a responsibility to be doing these
0: thank you so much for that vision for a preferred future for the profession in australia you've mapped it out brilliantly there and just again thank you also for the the tips and the 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 practical suggestions of how we can all get our shoulder to the wheel you know in the very short-term future to start making this future a reality because um you know many people have made that point that notwithstanding you know structural inequalities, disparity, you know, political intransigence, all, all the stuff that holds things back, the future is to some extent shaped by the future we choose to make come about. So, you've just given us a, a bit of a roadmap there as to how we can bring about a much better and preferred future from the point of view of the profession. Just yeah. though to stay with that, and you, you've already touched upon this, you may not want to say any more about it. And this is this podcast series dwells very much on the progressive and positive aspects of the diffusion of eco-social work ideas and interventions. You've just given us a brilliant example of this, a smorgasbord throughout the discussion. But I do also um, give each guest the opportunity to say something about any possible challenges or restraining influences that they think may be slowing down the adoption of Eco-social work into the mainstream mm. here. You have touched upon a couple of these, but do you mm. want to say anything more about that?
1: Yeah, I will say something, Andrew, because I think that I think it's often um, quite useful to identify what some of the obstacles are, um, because it then gives us some more targets for change, I guess. I think there are there is a philosophical obstacle. In other words, when we begin talking about an eco-social approach. I think there is a, I think this is decreasing, but there has certainly been some immediate philosophical resistance that says, oh, is this really our job? Is this our business as social workers? Like, isn't that stuff that somebody else does? And I think we need to continue to develop ways to overcome that resistance. I think that's one of the reasons why I am so passionate about the idea of mainstreaming an eco-social work into those foundational professional documents like the code of ethics and the accreditation standards and into social work education programs because I think doing that um, clearly identifies this isn't just something else or an extra add-on that this is actually core business for us So that philosophical resistance is is an obstacle. But I think the number one obstacle that gets presented to me when I'm talking about this stuff to practitioners is time and energy. So lots of social workers will say, I agree with you completely, Peter. It's so important. I am so busy. I am overwhelmed. I am under-resourced. And now I feel like I have to add in a completely new area into my practice and into my thinking and my professional life. And that's a real challenge because, of course, we know that that is the reality of many social workers, that they are overworked and under-resourced. And this can feel like yet another demand being placed upon them. I think the response to that is is to recognise that this is not something extra to be kind of bolted on to their practice burden, but is actually something that is integrative. So it permeates, it should permeate everything that a practitioner does. And in that way, it's not actually so much of a burden. In fact, it can be a liberation because it opens your eyes to a new way of seeing the practice context that you're in. But helping people to understand that that the transformative nature of an eco-social work approach can actually uh, operate as something of an antidote to that overburdening, that's a challenge too. And we need to be getting better at communicating that with people
0: brilliant Listen, we're, we're almost at the end of this really rich discussion uh, and you may have some other stuff to say but just as we as we move along just i suppose to you know tick the time scale box there so that people have a sense of uh, it coming towards an end you, you've given us such a, a a wide range of ideas here and just based on that idea that people tend to or this is what i've been told anyway they tend to remember the first and the last thing uh, most often in a conversation or presentation do you have a short take-home message or one key idea from the conversation today that you think best represents uh, you know I, I mean it's been so wide-ranging but anything that you think might be a, a take-home message um, that summarizes or, or sums up your comments on the particular take you have on the subject of eco-social work practice
1: i guess my takeaway message, Andrew, would be that we need to, as members of this profession, we need to work hard at developing a better understanding of the interrelationship between human beings and other parts of the natural world. Based on that recognition, we need to acknowledge the impacts on human well-being of dynamics like the environmental crisis and climate change and recognise that the negative impacts of those dynamics don't fall equitably upon populations, but in fact will fall most heavily on those who are least able to bear that weight. As people with a commitment to social justice and human rights, we have an obligation, therefore, to address those problems, those causes of the discrimination, the disadvantage, the oppression that is in the pipeline. So I think that we can and should transform the way we think about the place of social work so that it better includes an understanding of the natural world. But we should hold on to our commitment to social justice in recognising that environmental impacts are not going to be equitably distributed. That combination, I think, gives us a very solid foundation for arguing for and implementing an eco-social approach.
0: Nice, really nice, succinct uh, summing up to end, end on for this really fantastic and interesting discussion, Peter. Um, I just want to say that does complete the interview. It's been a privilege to talk with you today, and I'm certain, absolutely certain, you've given our audience some great ideas which could help inform their own thinking, help them start further conversations themselves on the subject of eco-social work adoption with their friends, colleagues, within employing organisations, in their professional associations or advocacy groups. It just remains, though, for me today, on behalf of Householders' Options, to protect the environment, to thank you very much for your time.
1: Uh, You're very welcome, Andrew, and thank you very much for, for this work because it's just so important to be getting this message out here and I really appreciate the efforts that you're making in that regard. So cheers. You've been
0: listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco Social Work in Australia, produced for householders' options to protect the environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.